Well, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 62. We'll read the entire psalm here. Prepare our hearts for the word here today. Psalm 62. We read to the chief musician to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people, and pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. May the Lord bless the reading from his holy and infallible word. As I introduce this passage here this afternoon, I wanted to give some introductory information. One of the books that I studied and Preparing this was written by a preacher well-known to almost everyone, uh, Charles Spurgeon. I'm sure that you've heard that name and his quotes. I uh, thankfully, mercifully, have been able to visit a lot of places in Europe, including England, and went to a worship service a number of years ago at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon ministered. And uh, I am not sure at the moment, but at one point the minister who was there, named Dr. Peter Masters, has been there at least 50 years now. So quite a ministry in London and uh, a continuing ministry. And uh, I'm very thankful for the emphasis that they've continued. That church has been a witness for many hundreds of years now, even before Spurgeon's time. But... Um, Spurgeon, I read something that he had written at one time that uh, I wanted to, to give out because it applies for this today, at least for me. But he was saying that a minister's pastoral ministry or his preaching 
generally comes out or should come out of, in his opinion, out of his devotional life. And I'm sure sometimes that does happen, but I can certainly attest in my years of ministry that not always is that the case. Uh, you may be doing a series or you may have a special emphasis, but I can certainly confess that Psalm 62 in recent weeks has been a psalm that I've focused upon. And it's the psalm that the Lord has used in my life personally. And when I say the word I'm about to say, I even asked my wife the other night, I said, I'm going to throw out a word that you would have heard in college. And I said, just kind of tell me what you think about it. So I'm going to throw out a word and you don't have to tell me right now, but you can think about it. It's the word devotional, devotional. For instance, let me kind of give you this illustration. A lot of ministers, when they look at commentaries, put them in different categories and some may be more expositional and, and very technical and theological as far as how deep they are and dealing with the language. But there's a category, and sometimes it's kind of said negatively, though it shouldn't be, but it's the term devotional commentaries, more devotional. And uh, so probably, as my wife explained, and as I was thinking that she would, that when you think of devotional, maybe just more of a simple and not as in-depth or, or something along that line. I'm going to give a devotional, so just a little, you know, encouragement, whatever. And uh, that's true to a point, although, for instance, one of, the hymn, uh, one of the commentaries that's been used historically by pastors is Matthew Henry. You've probably heard of Matthew Henry. Maybe you've uh, you know, read it yourself. I don't know. But it's always been put in the category of devotional, devotional material, but yet powerful, good thoughts. So uh, did this sermon come out of my devotional life? Well, the quick answer would be yes. And would this sermon then, you think, Pastor Chris, be more devotional? And I would have to say yes, I, I think so. But there's nothing wrong with that in the way that application from the word can be made to our lives. So I think it's important. Yes, we need to, to know what it says, but Spurgeon also said once that the Bible does not say, uh, feed my giraffes, it says feed my sheep. And uh, I remember a man that helped us find our home that we were living in a number of years ago, went to a service, it may have been a Presbyterian church, it was in a conservative Presbyterian church, he said, you know, that must have been a great sermon that I heard from that man, but I didn't get anything he was saying. I'm thinking, it wasn't a good sermon. If you didn't get anything he was saying, that's the worst thing that can happen, you know, to have it up here in the clouds. So I want my desire as the ministering the word and being a blessing is that we, that we hear and understand. And I think there's some very devotional, practical things to apply from this passage. So in just a moment, and this seems to me very British in the number sense, because when I used to hear this as a younger person, I thought, how long is it going to take to get through a sermon with that many points? But there are seven blessings of God to believers in this passage. And are you thinking, how long is it going to take Pastor Chris to get through those seven points? Well, I hope that's not a concern uh, here. And, uh, but in just a moment, we're going to see these things. And these are blessings. These are things I want us to contemplate in God helping me as it has helped me in this passage of reading it on a regular basis more recently. So that's been an often read passage to me. Now, one thing also I'd like to say, two things before we look at the text itself, the verses that we're focusing upon, these seven blessings of God, is that we have already sung, as you may have realized, Psalm 62. 
So I thought that was good in that it's a familiar hymn tune, and it is also introducing us to the text that we're going to study. So there it is, you know, before us, we're singing it, we're, we're getting it into our minds, and of course we want it ultimately to get into our hearts and change uh, us in our way of action. So I want that for myself as I've been studying this. But being that this is not a Reformation sermon, there are certain things concerning the Reformation that we know are very important in our faith, and that is the solas of the Reformation and uh, the alones. So here in this passage, David is not using alone, but he's using a word that is very parallel. May I say that like our title this morning, parallel? Only. This has been called the only song. Because when you think of what God is saying, he is the only one that we can go to. He is the only true God. And these facts are only, ultimately, for believers. So we pray that if one was here today outside of Christ, as I spoke last time being with you, that outside of Christ that will be placed in Christ. And these will be precious truths to you. So this is uh, been called the only psalm because of the onlys that occur here when we've read those together. But also, as we read this, David is writing, and of course he's saying, my, 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 it's personal. So I want it to be personal, therefore I'm going to look at these seven points in the context of our, collectively. So we want to make it personal. So the first thing that I want us to see in these blessings that God is, number one, our rock. God is our rock. Verse 2 is where we find that. He only is my rock. He only is my rock. There are probably a lot of ways you can think of this word, and one of the things I think of is the wise man building his house upon the rock and the wise man building his house upon the sand. We used to sing that over in my home church and. I remember that rock is how the house stood firm. So God as our rock is many things that we could illustrate, but certainly he is our foundation because there's no other foundation that is laid, that can be laid apart from Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. But you know, it's also interesting, and I'm going to only do a couple of cross references, but I think it's important that Christ as our rock is a theme that the New Testament gives going back and looking at the Old Testament scriptures, Christ as our rock. I just want to do that one little excursion. Feel free to do so as well, although we're coming right back to the Psalms. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul lays this out for us so clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read because of just kind of entering into the thought, you know, right straight away. I, I want to set the context a little bit more. So let's start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And here we are. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
So there, the best commentary upon the Bible is the Bible itself, that Christ was the rock. And uh, sometimes I know for us, at least for me, when I think of the Old Testament believer, what kind of clarity did they have on the Christ who was coming? And, but certainly they had to believe in him as the way. And this tells us that in that Old Testament picture that Christ was their rock. So he is our rock. Now, David may have seen it from the perspective of a man who sometimes was on the run for his life. And so the rocks gave the place that he could go down into to get away from Saul and his uh, band of followers that were seeking him, oftentimes. So he would be in the rocks and seeking to find himself in a place in the rock or in the rocks where he could hide. And... Uh, but certainly that is true for us if we think ultimately of the foundation, but yet our hiding place as Christ is. So my only rock is God. Secondly, in this same verse, in the application of not only as our rock, but he only is my salvation. Now salvation is a big word. It's an all-encompassing word. When we look at salvation from a doctrinal perspective, there are many links in what we would call the salvific chain of these different doctrines. And so we're not here this afternoon to look at those individual doctrines. We're looking at the word. So what's the idea being given to us in our salvation? What's that word literally saying? Well, the word salvation means deliverance, to be delivered from our sins, or safety. And I have to think of Christ here again, that they will call his name Jesus. And what will he do? He will save, he will deliver his people from their sins. So safety, deliverance, our salvation that is in God alone. There is no other name given whereby we can be saved. Um, I hadn't planned to say this particular thing, but the Lord brought it to mind, so let me share it with you all, because afternoons are difficult, are they not? I thank you again for the meal, and uh, so I have to stay awake, you know, and that's uh, so why I was thinking, well, you know, what if I fell asleep as a pastor? I'm just kind of being silly here, you know, but it's like it was a meal that I could definitely, couldn't you go to bed and, and rest and be happy, but uh, we'll do that a little bit later, but nonetheless, I and my family were on a flight to Singapore, got invited to come to a Bible Presbyterian church in Singapore and then on an island nearby in Indonesia. But when I got on the plane, we, it was a long flight, you can imagine, and the connections that we had. I got seated next to a guy who was uh, a, a psychologist. Uh, and that right away was going to be a problem because he was a nosy psychologist and uh, wanted to know all my business. And so I was glad to, to tell him, you know, to a point, but, uh, oh, you're a pastor. Yes, yes, I'm a pastor and blah, 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 and I'm going on this trip. And so he had to tell me how this particular scripture is calibrated well and this particular scripture is calibrated well. And I thought, what is this guy even talking about? He doesn't know what he's talking about. But somehow it led to other religions and you know he was trying to kind of dominate the the conversation anyway and uh other religions and i said well you know i'm sorry the other religions are not the way you know there is there is one way you're trying to tell me that the buddhist is not okay and the muslim is not okay and he kind of went it's like uh i'm saying what god's word says 
And Christ said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through Christ. And the man was just boiling by this point. And it was basically like, okay, our conversation's finished. And he turned the other way, and we had a long flight of silence, which was fine because he was spewing nonsense. And I told this to one of the elders. He said, you can't drop your pearls before swine, you know, if they're not going to listen. I hope God opened his heart. But wouldn't you know, two weeks later, I get on the plane, and there's that guy sitting there going back, you know. So I smiled, and he smiled. Thankfully, I was sitting somewhere else because our family, we got split up, you know. And it's like, I don't want to sit with that guy either. But, you know, when I said Christ is the only way, he just, he just lost it because that's the world we're in. But if we are going to side with what the Bible says, the inspired record, the only salvation is in Christ. And we have to stand with that. We believe that. We believe it because God said it and God's word is authoritative. And so there it is. Our deliverance and safety is in Christ alone. Thirdly, in verse 2, it's funny, we have three of them in one verse. He's our rock, he's our salvation, he is our defense. He only is my rock, he only is my salvation, he only is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Now, when you think of the rocks that David may have been hiding under to get away from Saul as he ran for his life, this is a different word in our defense and it can literally be translated our high tower, our high tower. Now, we've talked a lot about the Reformation today. And if, has anyone here ever been to Europe by chance and uh, seen the castles and some of the uh, fortress-like turrets that are there, how they would have been manned by soldiers or maybe archers, and they were protecting that high tower? Well, the defense of our God as our high tower. He is our protection, literally not only high tower, but it's an inaccessible place. So we can take to heart what Luther said, a mighty fortress is our God. So something has been built, we think of humanly thinking that built that we can be in of protection and seeking to protect ourselves or protect the people. Well, as our defense, that's what it's there for. These people were there to defend the city or to defend the castle. And uh, that's exactly what uh, David is talking about. God is my high tower. He is the one that no one can access as far as harming me. I am in his protection. You know, it's interesting when I think of the faith of uh, a Presbyterian general named Thomas Stonewall Jackson, who could say, I feel as safe in bed as on the battlefield. I'm thinking, what faith, you know? And, uh, you know, I lived near the area where George Washington, before he was President Washington, was General Washington. And uh, there's, a, there's a neat place. I need to take a picture the next time I see you. It overlooks Pittsburgh, and it has a kneeling George Washington, a kneeling um, Indian overlooking where the three rivers begin. It's a, just a beautiful scene, so I'll have to take a picture of that. But nonetheless, George Washington had numerous horses shot out from under him during the time of the Revolution and even the French Indian uh, campaign. And uh, they could talk about God's smiling providence of how he protected them. So God is our defense. When it's his time for us, we will go. Now, I'm not going to go stand out in the middle of 465 and, you know, say, okay, here I am, you know, and try to survive something like that. That's just idiocy, right? They lock up people who do those kind of things where they should. 
No, I understand with common sense. But nonetheless, in God's time, he will call us home. Just like I said in the what ifs of history, from my personal standpoint, it would have been great to have a 90-year-old Edward VI, in my opinion. But that was not the plan of God. So therefore, we understand God is our defense. He's our high tower. He's our protection. No one can literally get to us, as it were, until it is God's time. So rock salvation defense. Fourthly, we have this afternoon, God is our expectation. Look at verse 5, please. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Now, this is slightly different as you think of God being your rock or your salvation, but my expectation. But think about what our hope is. And wouldn't you know, I kind of spilled it quickly there. Our expectation deals with hope, our hope that is fixed. My father's favorite song was this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, the sinking sand. So the expectation then is God, or more specifically, let's say our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is the one that we long for. God has given us this blessed hope about the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are not alive at that coming, then to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And as Paul said, to be with him is far better. But for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So therefore, the expectation, the hope that we have. Now, our hope is going to be, and I don't mean this negatively, deferred until the time God does call us home until that place uh, that he has prepared for us and calls us there. But in the meantime, our expectancy, our hope, the one that I long for. Fifthly, we see in verse 7 this truth. In God, verse 7 says, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now we have... Uh, several things, all next three points are found in verse 7, plus our application in conclusion. But, in God is my salvation, which we've already talked about, but also my glory. My glory. I've always had a difficult time grasping the concept of glory. I know the words, I've looked at them in the Hebrew, Greek, but to really define it, because glory in an Old Testament sense, when you think of the Shekinah glory coming down, it, it, the idea of the word is weight or heaviness. That's what the literal idea is. But that may not communicate uh, to us uh, what it is. And, and, and then God is glorious and the glory of God. And we also talk about heaven as that glorious place where I'm going to glory where God is. So how do we understand what David is saying that God is my glory well obviously the focus is not upon us is it it's on God and who he is that's the first and most important thing but I think it has the idea as most of the translators deal with this word of the idea of honor 
honor. The glory and honor are closely related. So again, it's not anything in and of me, but I, I, have, I am Christ. I am his and he is mine. So therefore, the blessings that are mine are because of him. See, it, 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 it brings about humility and uh, certainly the right perspective of God that it's, it's all of him. It's all of grace. It's his work. And any honor that is mine is not any honor I can earn myself. It's God has placed it upon me. And I am honored or you are honored to be, as we sang this morning, uh, kings of the king. That's the kind of the way that the hymn uh, listed it there by Horatius Bonner. It's a loose, loose paraphrase there. But children of the heavenly king being his. So that honor being given to us, it is him, his honor. So who he is. So again, uh, he is my glory. It just really, the psalmist is saying about the exaltation of God and who he is. It's not about himself. Because there's nothing in us that can uh, breed pride or should breed pride. Not that it doesn't happen, but it's not to be that way. You know, God hates pride. He hates the appearance of pride and a, a haughty heart that uh, Proverbs in particular speaks about. But God being our glory, he is my honor. He is my all. He is mine. So therefore, that is sufficient. That's enough. But in verse 7, it also tells us that God as our Glory is the rock of my strength, my strength. Now, some of these terms probably seem a bit similar, whether it be rock or strength or refuge or fortress, but the different words are being used here to communicate these blessings to us. So God is uh, as our strength is our security. Or maybe you think of the word protection, but it also has the idea of might. So we can go in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. So it's not in and of ourselves. Again, this always causes us to look away from ourselves and to look to him. That's what it should do. So the security that we have in him, the protection, and knowing that the hope that we have, even though it is deferred until God calls us home, it's still a sure hope. And our strength and security is in him. It comes from someone else. You know, one of the verses that really just hits me right between the eyes of clarity is Christ in, he talks about in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. That is just so clear cut to me. Without me, you can do nothing. So I have to look at him as my strength, as my security, as my all in all. And God is our strength, a very present help in time of trouble, always there. And then seventhly, not quite finally because we have the other points of application, but our refuge, verse 7. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. God is our refuge is that place of shelter, spiritual shelter. It is that place of trust. So you see that as one who has the expectation because of the faith that we sang about earlier in our last hymn, God's gift to us, then we have a place of trust. And to further explain that, it would be the resting place of our confidence. So it rests in God. God is our refuge. Yes, our shelter. Yes, our protector. 
but we can trust him fully. And we'll see in just a few moments how we should trust him, how we are commanded in what way to trust him as God. Now, those are the seven areas. God's my rock. God's my salvation. God's my defense. God's my expectation. God's my glory. God's my strength. And God is my refuge. That was pretty quick, wasn't it, to go through seven things? But we're not quite finished because there are some items here in two verses that I want us to also take to heart from this psalm. And the next one I'm going to put, this is actually in verse 8. If you looked at it, number 8, you don't have to do it that way. But loving commands. There are two loving commands in verse 8 that we need to take to heart. In verse 8, let me read it. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. First of all, trust. We've talked about that word already. But that resting place of your confidence. And here, these next three words, I think I wrote in my notes, are just so self-explanatory. Trust how? At all times. Now, as I say that, as David has penned those words, do I trust God as I should at all times? Do you know what the answer is for me? No. I know that that is not what I have done as I ought. So that's why this psalm has been a special encouragement to me to do just that, to trust God in all circumstances, in all situations, the resting place of our confidence. Again, let me go back to Luther's hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. That's where our trust should be in him. So trusting at all times in the Lord, the resting place of our confidence rests in him. A loving command. But secondly, we have another verse or another part of the verse that to me is, is very powerful. And the language itself is very picturesque because it says, pour out your heart before him. I just have a picture in my mind of what this is indicating as language is picturesque, pouring out your heart unto the Lord. Now, I'm sure there's different ways that we can think of that. One of the ways that I think of it is Hannah, when she was praying for Samuel, how she closed her eyes and her lips were moving. She was praying, she was just not doing so audibly, as she was pouring out her heart to God, begging God, for a child. She was getting teased by, because there were multiple wives in these contexts of the Old Testament believers and, you know, her husband, I am I not better to you than seven sons? But she desired a son and she's praying for the son. And Eli, the high priest, didn't understand what was going on. Thought she was drunk. No, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman who's sorrowful, pouring out her heart unto the Lord. And of course, God did answer her prayer and Samuel means asked of God, or asked of the Lord, literally. So she knew that the request she had was because of God's blessing, pouring out her heart. So it's important for us, and it doesn't have to be demonstrative in such a way that, but whether it's in our prayer closet or wherever, that we can tell the Lord everything. He knows it, yes, I know he knows it already, but to call upon him. And David is given, again, language that I think is so beautiful, pouring out our heart unto the Lord. 
I want to comment on that in just a moment through uh, a particular pastor and some words that he has given us. But before I do that, let me just talk about this pastor. He's an interesting man. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as, uh, you know, I know we know each other. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but I come on, come around once in a while, you know, for preaching. And uh, would anybody here be a big fan of going into cemeteries, especially old cemeteries? You know, I... I actually, we had a youth trip one time, and uh, we, uh, you know, because we're in Pennsylvania, so our presbytery bounds were fairly large, and one of our pastors, very knowledgeable of the area that he lived in Baltimore, and uh, he did some of the, the uh, like a history tour for us, but we went to a cemetery where some well-known people were buried, and he also was explaining the symbolism of different kinds of gravestones and what they meant, the spiritual significance. And so I found it quite interesting. So when I have traveled to these other countries, a lot of times I find myself in cemeteries. And uh, in London, Bunhill Fields, there's some uh, well-known saints that are buried there. But there was a saint that I did not know anything of, but he was in the county where we were staying. Now, if I say Bedford, anybody knows history of England, they think of John Bunyan, because that's where he ministered. So we, I was staying in Bedfordshire with friends. And uh, a friend that I've mentioned before that was a mentor to me, his son and I went to various places, but one of the places we went was to a cemetery there in Bedfordshire. And it's an interesting grave, and this came to mind because I was studying, and lo and behold, the comments that I was going to give you was from this man named John Barrage. John Barrage. Well, John Barrage was a, a minister in the Church of England there in this little village where we went there in Bedfordshire. And uh, my friend Charles took me there, and it's, uh, it's his, you know, cemetery plot, and it's kind of raised, and, you know, I don't know exactly how it's configured as far as where he is in this, in it or under it or whatever, but nonetheless, it's a large cemetery stone. And John Barrage um, basically put a testimony there for anybody who reads it. So if you come by, you read this kind of as a witness, though being dead, yet he's speaking in a sense. And so I want to read to you the words from uh, the, and I have a picture of this. I, I have a picture in front of me, but I have a picture that I took many years ago when I was there. So here's what uh, uh, Reverend Barrage said, or here's what you would read. Here lay the earthly remains of John Barrage, late vicar of Everton, that was the community, little village, Everton, and an itinerant servant of Jesus Christ, who loved his master and his work, and after running on his errands for many years, was called up to wait on him above. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without a new birth. And here he goes on to designate his life. I was born in sin, February 1716. Remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730. Lived proudly on faith and works for salvation till 1754. Admitted to the Everton Vicarage, 1755. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge, 1756. Fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1793. And so if you go into the little cemetery there in St. Mary's uh, Cemetery, this is what you'll find in front of you. Quite an interesting man. And uh, I love this statement. And I first heard this statement from Dr. Ian Paisley. 
I don't know if he gave reference to who it was from, but this was John Barish, the kind of, if I can say this graciously, the kind of character that he was. It says, a complaint was lodged against Reverend Barrage, and the bishop sent for him and reproved him for preaching at all hours and on all days. My Lord, he said modestly, I preach only at two seasons. Which are they, Mr. Barrage? In season and out of season, my Lord. So that's the only two times he was preaching our year, in season and out of season. I thought that was... Uh, Quite clever. But what did he say concerning the passage here of pouring out our heart unto the Lord? Well, I think they're good. He says, this is a precious word. Pour out your heart before him. Make him your counselor and friend. You cannot please him better than when your hearts rely wholly upon him. You may tell him, if you please, you have been so foolish as to look to this friend or the other for relief and found none. And now, and you now come to him who commands you to pour out your heart before him. So coming to the Lord and coming to the Lord alone. Well, truly in conclusion in this passage, let's go to verse 12 as we see a final statement that I want to emphasize. And it says, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Unto the Lord belongs mercy. What is mercy? Well, there's two really brief definitions that I like to use concerning this word. It's the word kesed. Loving kindness or covenant devotion. Loving kindness or covenant devotion. Now, God is going to do what he has said. God is going to keep his promise. And we are reminded that the last time that I was able to be with you all, we were in Micah chapter 7, and we read these words, God delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. And we are reminded by the psalmist that, O oh Lord, to him alone belongs mercy giving us what we need, grace and mercy. And mercy having the idea even of pity and compassion as God gives it to us. And we too cry out even now to God for mercy, knowing that he is a God who delights in mercy. We're not given what we deserve, but in mercy God grants us what we don't deserve. He gives us his grace, he gives us his love, gives us his compassion, one of his attributes. God of mercy. And so this passage that we've looked at today, these seven blessings also include these uh, other loving commands and directives that God has given to us as believers, that unto the Lord belongs mercy, and that we who are here this day, if we are in Christ, have been able to obtain that wonderful blessing of mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are again grateful for all that you have given to us in Christ. Father, we are blessed to think of these things that we have examined from your word, these seven blessings, plus, Lord, a multitude more than even we have here in this passage, innumerable blessings, and cause us to be reminded of the blessings that we have in Christ.
Lord, we do ask for your continued blessing upon this congregation, upon this presbytery, upon other churches of like and precious faith. Lord, here and around the world, how we are blessed to know even on this Lord's Day that uh, these words even go to other countries, and that is a wonderful and yet humbling thought. And so, Father, may we continue to be witnesses for you, faithful to you, even unto death. Lord, we thank you for all that we have been given. We know we are not deserving, but you are a God who delights in mercy, and we praise you and thank you for that. So now we pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Father, help us to be mindful of all that we've heard this day. And Lord, remind us too that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may we do all to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.